Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I will be discussing Amazon Prime's show Reacher, based on the Lee Child novels, a spoiler-free review of this season one, which all dropped at once and has been very successful over on Amazon Prime, and then a spoiler-free review of Peacemaker, the John Senna HBO Max original series, a spinoff of the James Gunn Suicide Squad movie that came out this summer, a rather unsuccessful film, by the way, and I'll break that down in detail in those comments, but appears to be a relatively successful show for HBO Max, and uh, season two is on the way. That will be spoiler-free, and then I will have a spoiler section at the very end to delve into the finale, which just aired today, the day I'm recording this, Thursday. Meanwhile, in the main episode, Sona and I will be continuing to discuss two different Apple Plus shows, a continuation of our conversations around the after party, and a new, se- uh, a new series dropping this week, Severance, also on Apple Plus. Make sure you subscribe so you know when all these episodes become available. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear your feedback. Need some introduction at gmail.com with any feedback or comments. And if you'd like to support the show, give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatcher you use to listen to our show. And of course, recommend us to friends and family. Put us onto your playlists so people know what you're listening to. We appreciate you all. Jack Reacher has deceased, retired army. Bronze star, silver star, and a purple heart. What in God's name is a guy like that doing in Margrave? What's a guy like that doing in jail? Zip ties? Cuffs didn't fit him. You guys recycle. Seven bodies since you set foot in my town. I was arrested for murder. Now you want my help? I want you to do what I say. You just go wherever you want, whenever you want. Everyone's always jealous. I'm gonna uncover this whole operation and burn it to the ground. You boys knew what's about to happen to you. You'd leave now. Now don't go getting yourself arrested for murder. So with that out of the way, let's start off with Reacher. Lee Child started writing these Jack Reacher novels 25 years ago, I believe. And he's been churning them out. I think at this point, he's actually not even writing them anymore. I think he maybe just does outlines and he has a family business uh, writing these books. One per year, I'm pretty sure. They're still bestsellers. Not only have the books been very successful, but there's, this is not the first time this has been adapted. There have been two Jack Reacher films made starring Tom Cruise. Never saw the second one. I heard it wasn't very good, but the first one was actually very entertaining. But interestingly, one of the things that is definitive in the Jack Reacher character, and definitely here in this TV show, is that he is a hugely physically imposing presence. He is extremely tall, extremely big, extremely physically adept, truly an imposing, monstrous presence, which Tom Cruise, (laughs) maybe many things, he has the tenacity and he's a good actor oftentimes, but definitely not the most physically imposing person you've ever met. So they've kind of corrected that. And I know that was probably a big pet peeve of fans of the book because the the book does make such a big deal about this. And I bring all this up because the show itself makes such a big deal about this. And it has its pluses and minuses as well. So replacing Tom Cruise in the lead role, we have Alan Richson. I'm not that familiar with this actor. Definitely recognizable. He's been in many things as a character actor. Just one of those, those guys, usually when you need a large imposing figure. I do know he's he has done multiple seasons of Titans 
on the DC network now, also available on HBO Max, but I've never seen him in that. So this is probably the only thing I've seen him definitely starring in, I believe. And first of all, Reacher in the books, once again, I'm going to keep going back to the physical description of this character. He is supposed to be six foot five and I believe 225 pounds or so. Now, those are basically the specs of one of these larger tight ends we see now in the NFL. So like a Rob Gronkowski or a Travis Kelsey. And I think that is important to note here because I do think that they've overcorrected in some ways. Alan Richardson is actually six foot two, I believe. Once again, going by his internet movie database profile and probably more than 225 pounds definitely appears in any way. He may just be pumped up and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's just doing push-ups off camera between every single take because that's really his appearance here. And there are positives and negatives to this. He is a little too much of a... Uh, the physique of uh, a wrestler in some ways. And I'm making all these references, by the way, because it's going to be surprising how much overlap there is here between this and Peacemaker that I did not expect until I started to think about these things for this uh, commentary. But he, he's large and imposing, but he ha lacks a certain level of athleticism. I mean, it's actually kind of funny when you see him running around. It reminds me of seeing The Rock running around in his action movies. He's a little too beefy to look comfortable <laughs> at full stride, which, of course, is not the case for a lot of these athletes, like I mentioned before. When you see some of these tight ends, these are incredibly athletic folks at that same size. So it almost feels like maybe he's put on the weight recently for the purposes of this role. It really does look funny sometimes seeing him just trying to... He's just very lumbering. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. He's very lumbering. Well, that being said, he is very much a imposing physical presence, much more so than, for example, Tom Cruise, like I mentioned earlier. And all that is to say that this is a strange amalgamation of an 80s action movie, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type old school action movie from the 1980s, plus almost a Sherlock Holmes genius at being able to basically look at your shoes and know where you spent the night and whether you're divorced or not and what kind of car you drive. And I mean, really, he makes some incredible logical leaps. So there's a very much an element of Sherlock Holmes here. And also in his moral code and his simple way of being, there's almost a John Wayne or maybe even like a Clint Eastwood aspect to his persona as well. So it's this interesting amalgamation of these very traditional masculine qualities all rolled up into one. So in a way, it's wish fulfillment as a man, I'm sure. This is very much a dad show, as they call them, where it's uh, will very much appeal to traditional older men. It's, as much, it's this fantasy of being so good at everything. Like, no, he's bulletproof practically. He can kick anybody's ass. I mean, he can kick anybody's ass. He can kick seven, eight, ten people at a time. <laughs> he's, that's how proficient he is. He's practically bulletproof. I mean, pretty much anything other than a, an armor-piercing bullet to the brain is probably the only thing that could take him out. In some ways, he's the Terminator, with some more character than that. But still a bit of a ladies' man, right? So Because he, he's got that charm and that chivalry. So it really is all rolled up into one, every single positive male <laughs> attribute you can imagine, traditionally masculine attribute you could uh, imagine. And I think that's the appeal of the show, and it's been very popular for Amazon Prime. For me... It was a little bit of a slog to get through. I do see the appeal of it. And by the way, I was able to get all the way through the show. So with all the caveats I have, and I will continue to have them here in this uh, commentary, it was enough for me to, to watch. Now, 
partially is because I really could only partially watch the show if I wanted to and kind of tune out and do other things while I was watching it. And you don't have to give 110% to this show to follow it along. To that point, I pretty much knew exactly who did it. This is uh, basically um, the premise of the show is that Jack Reacher shows up at this town. He's a blues fan. Of course, he has to have some quirky character trait uh, that he's into blues when everybody else is into pop music or rock music. So he stops in this town because it has some cultural relevance, but it turns out over time that it actually that there's not only that, that also that his brother had lured him here. And just because he's a stranger in town and he's down in Georgia, although this was shot in Vancouver, I believe, they don't like those strangers down south. So when some, a body turns up, they try to pin it on him and they put him in jail without any kind of due process. But of course, he is able to finagle his way out of there. Immediately in episode one, I pretty much identified the culprits. And then you watch the show basically to just see everything that you expect bear out. I didn't understand the, the why done it, by the way. The why done it is pretty convoluted and is not really resolved until pretty close to the end of the show. But the whodunit is pretty obvious, and I don't even mean that as a derogatory statement. I think the show doesn't care. They want you to know whodunit right away so that you can kind of just lay back and watch this guy basically kick their butts. <laughs> and honestly, uh, the first episode was maybe the worst of all the episodes in the show, but it did keep me going because there's a twist at the end. Minor spoilers. This is just spoiling only the first episode of the show. It turns out that the body they found is his brother. So now, of course, he's vested in knowing why his brother died also, and uh, that was enough to keep me going through the show. But then even then, by episode three or four, I was pretty tired of it. But like I mentioned, just keeping it on the background while I was doing other things, it, you can easily follow along, kind of just pop your head up during the gun shoot, the shootouts, or while you're making dinner or, or having dinner. There's some pretty gri grisly <laughs> imagery here, by the way, so maybe not the thing to watch while you're having dinner if you're squeamish, but uh, otherwise... It is uh, fine for that. It's funny that there's so much, uh, the gore is, is pretty intense here because it almost could play as something that teens could watch if it wasn't for some of the goriest moments of the show. So definitely not for teens given there's a uh, bloody castration, which is uh, basically a body is crucified to a wall and mutilated. And in full view, you could see all the details. So it's pretty grisly stuff. So I don't recommend it for younger audiences, but um, surprisingly so, because if they, you know, made it a PG-13 level, probably would be family viewing for, you know, an older, older teens. And then once he's more emotionally vested in it, obviously we're a little more vested in the character. Like I mentioned, the lead is uh, interesting here, very physically imposing, maybe a little overdone in trying to make him uh, as uh, muscular as possible, uh, which makes it a little more unrealistic. Like, where, where is this guy's gym? <laughs> where is he uh, working out to, to maintain this physique when he's uh, on the road all the time? And it's, there's, it, there's so many quirks to this character. And this is not on the show creators. I mean, this is inside the, the books themselves, but he doesn't drive anywhere. He always takes a bus or he hitchhikes. He never carries more than a few hundred dollars. I don't know how he pays his bills because he doesn't have credit cards. He doesn't have ID. It's all pretty bizarre stuff. He personally has, uh, you know, it turns out that he has this military background. That's why he's this genius investigator he used to work for. He's not only been in combat, but also is an investigator for the military. So he's also a genius investigator, which nonetheless, somehow he's just like kind of a hobo. He calls himself a hobo. So it's all pretty preposterous. But like I mentioned, it is a fun, wish fulfillment. You get to see him you know, immediately identify who the bad guys are and immediately 
go to town on them. And of course, he kills, uh, he's like uh, Michael Myers here or something. His body count is incredible. <laughs> but of course, they're all bad guys. So, hey, no problem. You can kill as many as he wants. So all of this is pretty easy to digest in that way. Very uncomplicated. Despite the fact that I would barely recommend this, to be honest, for the season one, I feel like there is actually uh, opportunity to have more fun with this character. You can go in a grittier direction. You can deconstruct this character somewhat uh, in, an, in another season. The lead, uh, Alan Rich, uh, Richson, can grow into the role somewhat, make him a little more interesting instead of being this two-dimensional, like I mentioned, this amalgamation of the Terminator and Clint Eastwood and Sherlock Holmes. So there's a lot of potential upside on the show for a follow-up for a follow-up season and there definitely will be more seasons of this show i think this is prime's biggest hit ever i haven't seen the actual ratings yet there's a big delay on streaming ratings but anecdotally amazon's been very happy with the ratings on this show and it just from the looks of it it was not an expensive show to make and has been a hit for them so i would expect to see more of these uh, i'm sure this is appealing to the same audience that watched bosch also on amazon prime but there's even more potential here for expanding this storyline and of course, there's 25 novels to delve into, so I'm sure there's plenty of storylines to explore going forward. I've not read any of the books, but I've heard very good things about Lee Child in general as an author and this character specifically. So a mild recommendation. If you are someone who like loved Bosch or you love those 80s action movies, unironically, then you will love this. All right, kids, and that's how I defeated one of the world's most dangerous villains with only my two fists. My Desert Eagle two rocket launchers. Eat peace, motherfuckers. Any questions? Have you met Wonder Woman? She did spend an entire party IFing me from across the room. Sick. Dude. Dude, I said effing. Hey. <laughs> All right. Peacemaker, I was hesitant to bring you onto this team. <laughs> but right now, the world needs a son of a bitch. And you're the only one I got. No, you don't have to call me Peacemaker. You can call me Chris. Just because you're handsome doesn't mean you're not a piece of shit. Think I'm handsome? Oh, my God. Okay, speaking of 80s action movies and loving them ironically, let's talk about Peacemaker. So I honestly hadn't really thought about this until I was just thinking about what can I talk about here in this commentary and obviously wanted to talk about Peacemaker, which just wrapped up today and had also just recently wrapped up Reacher, although that's been around for a few weeks now. And as both of these things were on my mind simultaneously, it made me think about these parallels between them. Like I mentioned earlier, the actor who plays Reacher is very imposing without really feeling athletic. And you compare that to John Senna, a former wrestler, who is also a very large person, over six feet tall, six foot one or so, and weighs probably more than Alan Richson, but is much more graceful. I mean, he is a true athlete, right? He's, you know, say what you will about professional wrestlers, they definitely have to be athletic to be able to pull off these coordinated moves. And it's very fun, it's very fun to see John Senna in this role. So a few things about him. He has really made this pivot into his movie roles. And this Peacemaker character is maybe the best thing he's done. And the reason it works so well, I think, is because he really is a comedian more than he is an action star. And this is that shows the proficiency of both. He's a very skilled killer, and he has no problems physically pulling off those aspects of the show. But he can also deliver a punchline. And the last reason that this is such a good fit for Senna is that maybe because he just hasn't 
doesn't have enough experience as an actor yet. He always feels like he's performing. I always feel the artifice in all of his performances. He's pushing a little too hard to make a joke land. In some of his previous performances, this has bothered me a little bit more than it does here because, first of all, there's just something undeniably likable about him. So even if you see him working a little bit hard, it still is fun to watch, which is in some ways what makes The Rock so appealing as well. But unlike The Rock, which is really, it's as if he's like, I'm not only going to try really, really hard. I'm also like the best entertainer in the world. And he's like a song and dance man or something. He's like really trying really, really hard. John Cena really just seems like he's just trying his best and you kind of just root for him. And that innate aspect of his personality is so perfect for this role, this loser of a superhero who's maybe a villain more than he's a superhero without even realizing it. And his coming to that realization, the fact that he can do these really despicable things, but then you're kind of on his side, just uses that innate likability of the performer. And simultaneously, the fact that he's obviously performing, that he's putting on this performance of masculinity is perfect for the role because that is what is being explored here in the show. So the reason I like this so much more, to, much better than the Reacher show is that here is, again, another throwback to the 80s. We have a lot of 80s music. Reacher doesn't really throw back a lot of 80s music in there, but it really is very much in the style of those 80s action films. This is directly winking at our nostalgia for those old Arnold Schwarzenegger action films from the 80s. And, of course, the music of the 80s, too. But this show is intentionally, aggressively demystifying this performance of masculinity. So this is a spinoff of the Peacemaker character from James Gunn's Suicide Squad film from earlier this year. It's such a strange development cycle here. We have the Suicide Squad, the one with Will Smith, which came out some years ago, four years ago, I believe, around that time at this point, which was critically reviled. Audiences didn't like it that much either based on their word of mouth, but the box office was huge. It made $700 million. It was a huge, huge success. So of course they planned a sequel. This is a sequel and reboot at the same time. We have some of the, some of the same characters, I should say, from the first film, most notably Harley Quinn and some new characters here as well. You bring in James Gunn, who had successfully turned Guardians of the Galaxy for Marvel into a huge brand and now trying to do the same thing for these other misfit characters, these misfit team of the Suicide Squad. And you can actually track down my review of that film in this same feed. But my general takeaway from that was that it was worth seeing because in so many ways it was the it was the full James Gunn. You were getting the full James Gunn treatment. I felt at that time, at that moment, I mentioned that that was maybe the leash was off in the way that the Marvel films were not. It was rated R. There was no restraint as far as the how grisly the gore and the action was. And he comes from trauma films, uh, you know, a brand of comedy horror films that made their reputation on how grisly some of the jokes were, the, the actual gore in the films were. So without those constraints, I really felt like he had pulled off a pretty successful, I didn't think it was as great as everybody said it was, by the way. I had my reservations, but I thought that it was worth seeing just to see kind of the unbridled version of a James Gunn movie. But I'll take all of that back because all the issues I had there in that film where the tone of this humanism 
And then this over-the-top action ended up feeling cynical to me, and it didn't really mesh perfectly. I don't have any of those qualms for this series in general. I think this is probably the closest we've ever gotten to James Gunn's actual sensibilities, and it corrects a lot of what I didn't like about that Suicide Squad movie in the fact that it is over-the-top, and it is gross, and it does make jokes, politically incorrect jokes, about every gender and identity imaginable and body type, etc. Sweet cheeks. Can you take my order real quick? Seriously, dude. She had cherubic cheeks. It's a compliment. Sweet cheeks is your butt. No, it's not. It is. It's like calling somebody, I don't know, sugar tits. Totally inappropriate. Chits are way too big to be sugar tits. Sugar tits are like smaller, perkier tits, like yours. Uh, technically, I think you may have sugar tits too, but somehow that also feels inappropriate. But all of it is within the context of really like a very sweet humanism. And this just that balancing act, which is very difficult to pull off, is much more successful here. And I think it's probably because they're, the stakes are much lower here on this show, and they probably got pretty much a green light to do whatever he wanted to do. Back to that Suicide Squad film, it's you know much longer conversation, but interesting that that massively successful first film was followed up with this one, which got rave critical reviews. It did premiere in the summer with the pandemic still raging and debuted on HBO Max simultaneously. But all that is to say that it made around $150 million worldwide, which was a disaster compared to the first film and compared to what they spent on it. And even though it made such little money, people would say, well, it's because of the pandemic. But the, the Fast and Furious sequel came out and made hundreds of millions of dollars, $800 million at the same time. So it didn't seem that it should have decimated its box office by that much. And then you could say, well, it's because it was on HBO Max. But for example... The Godzilla movie premiered on HBO Max at the same time and was still able to make some three or four hundred million dollars. The Dune movie also premiered on HBO Max simultaneously and made some four hundred million dollars in its release. All in all, regardless of the pandemic, it seemed like there wasn't much of an appetite for this film. But regardless of that, HBO went forward with this spinoff and it's been very successful for them as well. And just like Reacher before, we will be seeing a sequel here as well. Okay, so minor spoilers here. Or I should say, this is a spoiler section of the Peacemaker show. This is really a show you can barely spoil. The plot that is here is about an alien invasion by these creatures called butterflies. But it really doesn't matter. <laughs> Honestly, it doesn't matter. It's really an excuse. It's really an excuse to explore these characters in this context. A big motif of all of James Gunn's films, and this includes Guardians of the Galaxy, which is what most people probably know him for, is about these people who are dysfunctional in and of themselves, but find a family, an unconventional family. And in the end, it doesn't even matter the why that they have found each other. It's just the fact that they have found each other. So these misfits are united on this mission. And here's where we get to the spoiler part. That in the end, we find out that this alien invasion has actually been orchestrated by these aliens that are trying to save their own home planet. They've had some kind of environmental crisis on their home planet. They see the same thing happening here on Earth. We're following the same path of destruction that they were on, and they are basically going to take over humanity to make decisions for them so that, in a way, to save our planet for them, but for, our, but for us as well. So they are totalitarian and yet see this as a world-saving kindness, basically, which Peacemaker 
very in a very funny way does thwart this plan in the end decides that people should have the chance the choice to decide for themselves and there's definitely a political metaphor here and a complicated one at that so it remains to be seen whether a this is the right choice to thwart this this alien plan and b just the fact that he lets the leader survive which bit him in the butt once before <laughs> and may very well be the case again but uh, at the end, we see that him and his best friends, his sidekick, who he's reluctant to have as a sidekick, but this truly <laughs> psychopathic sidekick that he has, very entertaining, along with his, this incredible uh, eagle that he has this relationship with, and this alien, which is a potential risk. And the last thing we see is his father, his racist father, who he has killed, Robert Patrick here, from Terminator 2, the villain from Terminator 2. But even though he's killed him, He's now haunted by him. So quite a demented package here at the end, but mostly successful. And I have to give credit for anybody who can pull this off to not only mix all these tones together, something so hard to pull off these kind of mixed tones, to pull them all off and to make this schizophrenic recipe pay off thematically. So I was definitely a fan of this more and more so as the show progressed. I had my guard up that this was going to be just a lot basically the guardians of the galaxy type humor purely cynical gross out humor but taken to an r-rated level and it definitely is r-rated by the way just for the purposes of the gags but there is payoff here beyond that and uh i think this is a show that has a lot of promise and potentially i definitely look forward to season two. Oh, one last spoiler i'll throw in here once again in spoiler area that i did find it very funny we do have references to all the DC characters. Peacemaker is constantly spreading terrible rumors about all the different DC heroes. Aquaman has sex with fish, for example. And in the 11th hour, where we're like, okay, this is truly an alien invasion occurring, and they cannot get Amanda Waller to send these DC uh, heroes to come and help. And just as I'm thinking this, the show is clever enough to answer that question for me after the plot's been completely resolved we suddenly see Aquaman and Batman and Superman and the Flash. They all show up, to which Peacemaker just says, too late, assholes. <laughs> and interesting that we see them all in silhouette. So um, it's possible that they were never intended to actually cast the actual actors. But we do see Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller playing the Flash and Aquaman. And it's possible they just brought him in for this cameo. They might have just shot these scenes independent, independently just because maybe when the show was all put together, Warner Brothers was happy enough with the final product that they decided to bring in the actors for these little cameos there at the end. Because, I mean, they, they, their scenes could basically have been shot <laughs> on the soundstage by themselves and just cut into the episode. But it is entertaining to see them brought in here and uh, a fun way to do a little crossover and to answer the question of, hey, wait a second, if this was such a big deal, how come these people didn't show up? But of course, it did show up. They're just a little bit busy, so they got there a little late. So that was Peacemaker. A much more enthusiastic thumbs up here for this. You know, but it is a hard R rating. It is intentionally offensive humor. So if that's the type of thing that bothers you, may not be appropriate for you. And what I would basically say is I'm pretty sure that the audience for Reacher and the audience for Peacemaker are probably not the same audience. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Okay, one more in, uh, recommendation and review, and probably the most enthusiastic of these three, a Dutch film called Riders of Justice, starring Mads Mikkelsen, who's been in many English-language 
films as well, but primarily makes these Dutch films. And the premise of the film is that we have Mads Mikkelsen, who is a soldier. He's currently deployed. And because he is unavailable to come back in time for his usual time with his family, he's been extending his deployment. And his teenage daughter's bicycle has been stolen. The mom decides to say, you know what? Let's have a cut day. Let's go into town and have like a girl's trip into town. And they're on a subway car. And uh, another character that we're introduced to, a data scientist from the, the university who has these theories about like chaos theory and these interconnections of behaviors across how you can basically understand people's motivations from seemingly arbitrary little data facts, which once again intersects with the surveillance state type motifs that we've seen in shows. Just We just reviewed Kimmy recently, for example, and there's just one recent example of uh, touching on some of these same themes. But he happens to be on that train and he's being polite. So he stands up and he tells the mother she could sit down and she says, okay, thank you. And then there's an accident on the subway line and she dies. The teenage daughter survives. This, this gentleman who gave up his seat survives, I should say. So Mads Mikkelsen returns from his deployment and tries to soothe the daughter, but he's not a great dad. That's usually what the mom was good at. And does this sound like a comedy to you? Believe it or not, this movie is an action comedy and it's really, really good. And it really is an interesting intersection. Once again, just having seen this recently, just by happenstance, the fact that I'm watching this at the same time that I'm watching, just as Peacemaker is ending its run, and just a strange synergy of my viewing that once again, we have these people who are kind of losers, who are kind of loners, who have messed up, quote unquote, their expected life trajectories, and they form this new family unit to try to figure out why. Why did this accident happen? Was it a terrorist attack? A turns out a gangster died who was about to testify in a case. And they start to think, is it possible that this was a hit on this specific person and the collateral damage were these other people who died on that subway train? This sets them on a trajectory to form this new family unit. In, the, in many ways, this correlates to what I just mentioned with Peacemaker, where it's about making that family, choosing your family when you don't have the traditional family unit. And it also is debunking these myths of masculinity. We have Mads Mikkelsen going back to the idea of Reacher and also Peacemaker, this kind of extremely adept killing machine of a man, but it punctures that as well. He's very good at being that killing machine, not so great at being a dad, not so great at taking care of the day-to-day -day of life. So it's that trade-off. And it does have this ironic view of this genre. Once again, this is something you can imagine pretty much a whole back half career for Liam Neeson, for example, has made <laughs> an infinite number of these type of films. And this film, Riders of Justice, is a debunking to a large extent of the motifs and the cliches we see in these type of revenge films. So it's very interesting. It deals with the idea of the limitations of this certain perceived type of masculinity, but also the necessity for this type of violence, for example. But in the end, the question becomes, and you'll have to watch the film to see all this, but the question becomes, are they correct in all these suppositions they're making? So it also is the limitations of this kind of expectation that everything happens for a reason. And what does that lead to when we try to connect too many dots? 
are we always right? Should we accept the fact that life may just have many coincidences? And this is actually pretty heavily explored in the film and really, really well done. And Mads Mikkelsen playing this very stoic character, great performance, <laughs> like barely tolerating these men who are, you know, complete nincompoops most of the time and him just trying to share space with them is very funny. And there's so many really great scenes here when they're plotting this revenge. But meanwhile, these men are hanging around the house and the daughter's asking, well, who are these people? And they're saying, well, they're family therapists. And then they're giving therapy to the family. And Mads Mikkelsen really has no patience for it at all. It is really, really funny stuff, but very serious and very moving as well. And if you can tolerate subtitles, this is available on Hulu. And it's really excellent. One of the best films I've seen of this genre. And like I mentioned, I will give Reacher a borderline thumbs up, something that's much more mainstream, and a, a, a series that's doing much of the same thing, Peacemaker, much more over the top, much more comedic in its delivery. And then this is much more naturalistic, although it has very, very funny scenes as well, but in a very different register and really the best of these three. And uh, just interesting that I'm coincidentally watching these things all at the same time. And just for my own personal taste, obviously, I tend to like the ironic debunking. I like my action movie with a side of irony, I'd say, versus um, you see something like Reacher, which has very little irony to it. He really is just that proficient, and there's no questions asked. He's going to smash some skulls, and he's in the right. Uh, whereas there's a lot of question marks as to whether a Peacemaker is overall a good versus bad. And once again, in this film as well, in Writers of Justice, the same question as to whether our protagonists are really the good guys, or I should say, they definitely are the good guys. I'll take that back. But the question remains as to whether they're really justified in what they're doing and highly, highly recommended. Once again, make sure you subscribe so you know when these episodes become available. Stay tuned. We will be covering The After Party, as well as Severance, the new Ben Stiller comedy slash thriller on Apple TV+. And in upcoming weeks, stay tuned for more on those shows, as well as discussions of some upcoming movie thrillers. Fresh, also on Hulu, with Sebastian Stan. No Exit, on Hulu next week. The Batman, coming in a few weeks. And Sona and I will also be discussing the Pam and Tommy docuseries on Hulu, once again Hulu, in a few weeks once that show wraps up. Speaking of intersections, here we have John Senna with his very meaty hands playing, for real, playing, he's a piano player, Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue, just as we're still covering the Pam and Tommy documentary on Hulu.